Hello everyone, it's Alan from the Wedgehead Pinball Podcast. Just want to throw a quick disclaimer in front of this episode you're about to listen to. It's the first one where you get to hear both myself and Chris Rhodes on the same episode. Together we are Wedgehead. So I just want to get him in front of a mic so that you get the full Wedgehead experience when you listen to the official Wedgehead Pinball Podcast. We did this one live in our bar before we were open, but as I'm learning, that's a far from perfect sound environment. It's pretty noisy and echoey, and we were using kind of makeshift microphones. Combine that with I'm a total amateur and just teaching myself kind of how to record audio and edit it all in my spare time to get these episodes out to y'all. And we got the raw recordings were pretty rough and noisy. Uh, I spent a lot of time kind of editing them and really trying to make it listenable. And I think I salvaged it, so I'm still going to release this one to y'all. But if you hear some weird noises and stuff, you know why. Uh, We've had imperfections in our first episodes, too. And y'all have been very kind, but uh, this one might be, this one's definitely rougher than than the first three episodes. But I hope y'all still enjoy it. That's why I'm still releasing it to you. And with that being said, we'll get Rhodesy on future episodes, but we'll get him in the studio. And we got a lot of cool stuff coming up and new episodes on the way. Please enjoy this episode, The Brief History of Wedgehead, with me and my business partner, Chris Rhodes. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Wedgehead Pinball Podcast. I'm Alan, and I'm joined by the legendary Chris Ebenezer Rhodes. Yeah, I don't know about legendary. The other half of Wedgehead, the reason why we're all here. And by the way, I prefer to be called the Pinball Baron of uh, St. John's. The Pinball Baron of St. John's, that uh, North Portland kind of netherworld. Yeah, it's actually a self-proclaimed title, so it really doesn't mean anything in a court of law. <laughs> but we're talking, we're getting Rhodesy on the pod. Together, we we are Wedgehead, and we've been here five years. We just celebrated our fifth year anniversary. Hey, yo. Did you think we were going to make it that far? I mean, I thought we were going to make it this far and then quit, like was kind of the idea. <laughs> so I thought we're supposed to be done. That's that's not off the table. <laughs> I want to talk about how you and I first met. Okay. You and I met, I was working at a bar. Uh, They had just put pinball machines in. That's when I was just getting heavily into pinball. And they were like, oh, you want to meet the guy that operates these games? And it was, lo and behold, it was Chris Rhodes here, sort of a legendary man around town. What was in there at the time? It was like Nugent and... Oh yeah, you brought in a Ted Nugent that... When they first opened, because I thought it would have been like... He wasn't quite as canceled as he is now. Yeah. And it, it was like, oh, rock star. This is kind of a rock star place. <laughs> Ted Nugent. I think yeah, perfect. Used, yeah. They used to have uh, rock and roll shows there. So I think you were thinking, oh, yeah, well, rock and roll, rock and roll bar. I mean, to, the, the, <laughs> uh, to be to be fair, the backlash of Ted Nugent. It's still kicks it's a ass. strong. It's a strong. It's a strong backlash. Yeah, yeah, that that still kicks ass. Uh, yeah. So I remember I was just sort of wet behind the ears, really excited about pinball. Uh, now I'm just a jaded old man. Uh, and you've done that to me. Yes. You Thank really you really have a way you. of stomping out <laughs> that that fire of pinball in people. Oh, come on. I'm not happy. <laughs> no, I think you're more of a pusher man. Yeah. Uh, if if anything. I think you're I like, pinball pusher man. I like to I like to wear a lot of hats when it comes to I like to be a cheerleader. I like to be a contrarian. 
I like to be uh, just a straight up salesman too. So, I mean, like, you know, I, I kind of wear a lot of hats. So it's fun to me. It's what keeps it interesting. And then, and then you and I knew each other for a handful of years. You, you've been operating for, I don't know, what, 20 years? What would you say? I don't know. I I can't put it. He doesn't keep track of these things, folks. So like, (laughs) like pinning him down on, on these things are, it's sort of like folklore. It's like tribal members tell each other about things that Chris Rhodes has done in the past. I mean, would you want to get into this? Like, when no, first no, no. Oh, I just wanted to give a quick overview. Yeah. Uh, but like we, we shortly years, became, we shortly became, we were talking about, you always wanted your own arcade. So you run a route, mm-hmm. you run a route all around town and in all the suburbs, and you always wanted your own bar. Well, I was collecting games with the intent of opening up my own place. Oh, so that was always part of it. Like yeah, you started it, your route was always well. I started the route because I knew people who had bars, and I was like, I was collecting games in my garage, and I was like, well, I need more games, and there's not much more room <laughs> in the garage, so I should yeah. probably earn some money on these. And it kind of grew organically, but the idea was always have games from every era and genre, you know, like and and have like a be like a museum collection, you know, like so. You know, I'm I'm definitely my collection is not as thorough as like the real museums that are around, but it was kind of like the Chris Rhodes Museum of like what I like and what I think is good and what I felt was quality. You know, this kind of was my idea, my collection. I mean, that's what everybody's collection kind yeah. of. Yeah, yeah. I think you're I think you're unique among operators or at least operators that I've met in this town, especially in the sense that you care about what makes money to a certain extent. Like everyone has to, like if you're an operator, you have to care if the games make money, but your love of a game, however, like misplaced that may be, (laughs) will always trump whether or not it makes money, right? Like you have, you, and the reason why you and I became friends was I was super into pinball and you put games out on location that nobody else would. Like you would put old 70 solid states out, you'd put EMs out. Well, I mean, the idea that I've always had is if I have a location that has more like, you know, four or five machines or if it's more, it it all depends on the location, too. But I would always kind of try to mix it up a little, like you're saying, like I would put the oddballs out just because Portland market is so deep where you could play those games anywhere on location. And in Portland, it's like I want to give you something a little bit different. And I always like. I'm trying to give a little bit of a history lesson when I have like, like if I have five games, I'm definitely going to have a game from 19, like 80 or before yeah. mixed in it. Like I, I very rarely will have like five Stearns lined up, which I could do, but I try that's, not to. I, I purposely mix it up. Yeah, that's that's sort of the easy way to do it. Not the easy way. Operating pinball by anybody is hard. Uh, I don't yes. want to downplay that. It's just... What people do now is you can buy Stearns because you can buy them brand new. They're mm-hmm. reliable. They yep. have themes that people recognize and like. They earn well on location, right? Yeah. Um, and when you put in older games, they're they're not going to get, on average, they're not going to get the same earnings. In sometimes, the- sometimes not, though. I mean, right. Well, there's. I think that there's always room to kind of zig where other people zag, and I think you've always done that, and that's why you and I became good friends, is that I would chase your games around town because that was the only place I could play a big game, and I fell in love with that game, and I just want to play it over and over, Yeah. and now we have it on the floor, and so th- so you and I became friends, mm-hmm. and then at some point we started talking about opening up a business together, since I have a background in uh, food service and working in bars, so... I was going to handle that side of it, and you had all the games, and you know everyone around town. So 
this space came up, which we're in. Yeah. And you, I want you to talk about how how that discussion went and why you wanted this space in particular. Well, I didn't want this space in particular. It's the opportunity came up for an affordable place where we could have started a place with the budget that we had, which was was nothing. which was which was probably I would say twenty five percent of what most people yeah. spend on when they open up a bar or a restaurant. Yeah. So and and the way that it came up was there was I I mean this is kind of a long story, but uh just give me the bridge version. I'm gonna give you the bridge version. Yeah. You don't need to get into the history of the previous yeah, space. Just so, talk about the space in general over the years in Portland, like so I had a location that was called the No. And it moved into this building that we're in right now, where Wedgehead is. And the no moved from Alberta to the Hollywood district. And when it did, it didn't quite have the same management when it moved over. It kind of ran for maybe about eight months, and then the wheels came off the operation. And as the wheels were coming off the operation, the owner of it was like, because the no, I've always been like, hey, if you ever want to stop doing rock shows, let's make it an arcade, a pinball arcade, because the amusements had always done well in there. And it kind of always had like a little bit of a punk rock fucking vibe to it that I think lends to the pinball, like the like kind of what a, like a cultural experience to playing pinball instead of just like going and playing the games. So the wheels came off, and he's like, "Hey, I'm thinking about maybe making it a pinball arcade. You want to be part of this business?" And he asked me that, and then I was out of town, and by the time I got back into town. The wheels were all the way off the business, <laughs> and yeah. it was on the rails. And then I just offered to buy the business from him. Yeah, so that's that is a. There's more to the story, but we don't need to talk out of school about what happened with that business before us. But it was a legendary Portland bar. Yeah, um, and it was it was sad that it went down when this space became available. Sad that it went down, but it presented an opportunity. For it us. presented an opportunity for us, and we're in a flat iron building on. Sandy Boulevard in Portland. And for those that haven't been, uh, it, it's basically like a big diagonal thoroughfare that cuts across the city's grid. And so we get this weird triangular shaped building, which is great for putting rectangular pinball machines in. <laughs> it works out really well. But we decided, I, and do you remember what I said when you first showed me this space? Oh yeah, you were, you were not into it. I was not into it. Well, okay, so when we first moved in, the ceilings were all falling in. Yeah. The there all the windows were boarded up. There was carpet. There was there was carpet on on one half of it and this crazy red tile on the other half. Yeah. The kitchen was oh, a biohazard. Yeah, it was it was bad. It was really bad. Yeah, where the bar was like it was it, it needed like a lot of cleaning. Like like I said the the ceilings were falling in, like or not the ceilings, the well, I guess the ceilings. Yeah, the ceilings, yeah. The roof wasn't falling in, but the yeah, ceilings the, were. Was, the roof was nice and new. The ceilings below them had been rotted out. Yeah. Uh, from Lathan the previous plaster, Lathan yeah. plaster, and like chunks of it falling and stuff like that. When, when, when Rhodesy showed it to me, I made a, I think you could tell when he showed it to me. Rhodes is the optimist of the two of us. Would you say yeah, that's fair? Definitely. So Rhodesy's an optimist. He's a dreamer. He's always like, ah, oh, yeah, man, check it out. Like, just think about it, man. Like, it'll be cool. And I was like, oh my God, this is going to be a lot of work. And so I, well, I, to be fair, I think a lot of work is what makes shit good. You know, that's, like that, that's why I'm a pinball operator. I mean, obviously I've not showed it. Not a great work. But I mean, like I just saw the, the, that it could be something that could be presentable 
you know, like by no means is it's like, you know, like a premier restaurant. Like, well, I mean, you know, like it's not like it's a fresh build or anything like that. No. Yeah. It's, it's an old building. It's been many, many, many things in its lifetime. It's known as the Sandy Triangle. People always think that no business will ever survive there. Uh, because it does have its challenges. We get a lot of traffic, but there's no parking. I've driven, I've driven by there. Yeah. That's uh, what people oh, yeah, always by there a million times. We get that all the time. I mean, probably the amount of cars that this is one of the busiest intersections. And it's a know, huge intersection, but there's nowhere to park and there's nowhere to make turns. So people get confused and 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 it has all these all these sorts of things. And it's got this lore through the years. And and just in the level of decrepancy it was when we took over. But you and I spent the summer of 2018 sort of uh, raising the barn. Like we basically went in here and dug everything up. We did all the work ourselves and with just the help of friends. Like we just had people show up every day. We paid some people to help us. Yeah. Like we we did plumbing. Maybe I shouldn't admit to all of these things that we did because I don't know if they're all completely on board. But uh, they're all, it's all safe. (laughs) But I think it really has lent itself to a very eclectic space. And it feels it feels comfortable and worn in. Because- let's let's put it this way: it was a rock and roll space, and there was a stage. We tore out the stage, and there was a stage underneath the stage. Yeah, that that kind of like t- describes like the the kind of sweat and tears we went through to make it happen. I mean, yeah. we peeled up carpet, we ground the floors, we peeled up tiling. You know, like we've you know put put up you know, like uh sanitary board in the kitchen. Like we did all that crap ourselves. Like we didn't hire a crew to come in here to get that done. No. Yeah. It was, it was our blood, sweat and tears and the blood, sweat and tears of our friends uh, that would help us. And some of them still work here too, which, yeah. which is to the testament of, you know, like what makes a good place in my opinion, you know? Like, yeah. We're, we're very fortunate that we have a great a staff and yeah, it's, it it feels lived in. Wedgehead feels lived in. We're not one of those big corporate arcades that are popping up. We it, it we're, we feel di- like if you ever come to Wedgehead, you'll it'll feel different. I mean, that's the goal at least. Well, I mean, when we when we first opened, like we were kind of trying to come up with a little bit of the identity. And I one one day I was like, you know, like just thinking about analogies. And I went to Alan. I was like, okay, so if Wedgehead was a car, what kind of car would it be? You remember what I said that? Yeah, yeah. And and you're just like, what the fuck are you talking about? It's like, come on, what had it? What it was like, Corvette? Is it a fucking? This, this is true of of roads in general. <laughs> like Rhodes likes to speak in riddles um, sometimes, and I am a very uh, I, I'm a very logistically driven person. And Rhodes, he's like, no, we got to think about what kind of car we are. But we ended up deciding that we're we're a work van. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I mean, uh, and you were like kind of hemming and hawing and kind of like, what kind of fucking question is this? And I'm like, we're a fucking van. Yeah. We're a goddamn van is what we are. <laughs> yeah. And that's, then that's true. You can have a lot of fun in a van. You can do a lot of work in a van. A van is utilitarian and fits everybody. Yeah. So, but I will say that in the middle of our opening, we were open about a year and a half, right? And we had to deal with COVID just like everyone else did. And that struck at a, bad time for us and a bad time for everyone we weren't entirely sure that was we were just getting our wheels about us like yeah starting to get really steady numbers and you know like established not as like oh they're in the cursed building you know are they still the same owners like all that kind of stuff like all that it started finally falling off of us and to the wayside and then kind of COVID hit which was you know like 
don't know. At first, at first, it was like mopey time. Yeah, like that we was, got real mopey. Those were bad times. But uh, we we had to be closed for about eight months. Um, we had to go back and forth with the city on how open uh, Multnomah County, where we are, was, and we had to do. We couldn't have people inside. We had to do to go. Uh, and then they would let us have 25% capacity. So well, we re- we relied on on for like t-shirt sales and to-go orders yes. first. Yes, and, and you would rent games out for the home market. Yes, and I was rent that's when I started renting out games after probably like two or three weeks of the pandemic, I had locations that shut down and never opened again. So I've had a problem of warehousing all my games first of all. Yeah, you which never had to have all of them in one spot. Yeah, so so my warehouse space was like Whoa, dude, like it was that occupancy. So a lot of the games came here to Wedgehead and kind of sat in every corner of Wedgehead. And then I started like, uh, I need to figure out something to do with these games to make some money. And I started renting them out, and uh, which has proven to be something that I still do to this day. Yeah, but, that's, 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 a good, that's a good opportunity to make some, some extra money. Uh, and, and luckily, some people had some, some cash. That yeah, I mean, everybody was at house. home. They had disfundable income. They were like, bring the game. So I kind of worked all the way through COVID, like renting out games. But then, you know, like we kind of found out that you could be open at, you just had to be socially distanced. Like, so. Yeah. So we, we came up with a strategy that we called the pod strategy. Yeah. Um, and that's where we sectioned off uh, because we were only allowed to have 25% occupancy and we had to spread people out. So we took our entire space and basically built walled off sections that we called individual pods. And the pods had anywhere from one pinball machine to five, five. Uh, and then you would have a table and some chairs in there. We and- set up a whole online reservation system. Yeah. Whereas you would, you know, like, oh, I want to go to Wedgehead and be socially distant. And this is what's available. And you would type in what you wanted. We would line up the nights, kind of bring them in, and yeah, yeah, we had to do a turnover, and we would, we had these big sterilization fogging guns that they were using on the airlines, yeah. and so we'd sanitize each one in between every guest. Yeah, um, and we also had a a system where there was like a doorbell system where you would write down what you wanted on a little clipboard, and then you would press a button, and then at the bar it would tell you what pod it was. Yes, like go, it was like a service call, and then we would go. So that way, we would limit our our staff's interaction with the guest. Uh, so the guest was really only, and everyone was wearing masks and all that kind of stuff. This is the height of the pandemic, but we did that for almost a year. Yeah, I mean, most of the country didn't have to deal with this shit. Portland, at least the super, way we did. Portland is super conservative in the way that they deal with. Every I mean, super left wing. Yes. But, but took the pandemic very seriously. Yes. So we had to deal with, con- and we had to, and and even in the pods, we had it open, and then they closed us down for a month as numbers spiked, and yeah. then we could open back up, and we had to go back and forth a few times. But we had a very unique, like I think it's indicative of uh, like ourselves, like you and me both, as far as like we've we struggled when we opened, and we and because we don't have a lot of money in the bank. You and I had to be creative with how we built the space out yeah. and how we operate the space in general. And then when the pandemic hit, there was a lot of places that struggled because I don't think that they, they had struggled to. in a while. Yeah. They were used to doing well and they didn't know how to like well, you know, they, they had people to, you know, bring their towels and their mats and 
you know, yeah. like the ice machines, like yeah. they, they read everything out, you know, like, yep. and it's, I mean, that's why margins on restaurants and bars is always pretty tight. Plus, yep. you know, we knew what it was like to have nothing and we, <laughs> yeah. We really operated on nothing for a year and a half trying to build up. Yeah, the first year and a half was so rough anyway for us that like we're like, oh, this is this is just another yeah. hoop, another thing that we got to figure out. And I think you and I weren't afraid to change the model, which yeah. I think saved the business. No, yeah. I mean, like, and, you know, like we're not like a, we don't have like accountants on staff and stuff like yeah. that. We, we, we run a super, like being small is beneficial, you know, with that for that reason. You know, and we didn't really even get any COVID money. Like we got some no. money from the city to reimburse our landlord, which didn't, yeah. I mean, yeah. I guess that helped our bottom line, but it was sure. Like, I mean, it was good for him. Yeah. But then, but then we're coming out of the pandemic or the serious measures of the pandemic. And we have, we were at a crossroads because the pods, the, basically the goal was if you showed up, you would have a minimum in each pod. So if you were there for an hour or you're there for two hours, you'd have a minimum. And as long as you spent that in food and drink. The machines were on free play. So you basically had your own private room. You could play those machines while you had your time. So we had we had sort of transitioned into this free play model. So we wouldn't have to handle cash or quarters or any of that weirdness during the pandemic. And then when we were coming out of it, I was pushing for a free play model. And I was, I was firmly against it. Rhodesy's firmly against it, which I think is something that we'll talk about in future podcasts more about the different price models or, or how whether you use tokens or use cards or like we do, we're free play. And, but you know, Rhodesy's old school. He's, he romanticizes the coin play and the coin drop and putting a couple cords into games. So you were, you were pretty against the free play model. I was. And then we started doing it and then <laughs> I was not. And then, yeah. And you were not in maybe in a future episode, we'll talk more about the economics of pinball. And I'd love to to help people understand it. It's more. basically you make more money, it's easier, and that that's there's enough. a lot of labor involved in coins. Like you need an ATM, so then so then they're taking twenties to the bartenders to turn it into fives and ones, and they're taking those fives and ones, they're going to a coin machine, and then and any of those points can have failure points. You can run out of small bills, you can run out of stuff in your ATM, you can coin run out of jams. coins. And then each game jams up and like, that's just a, a total pain in the ass. And I, I would spend so much of my time just dealing with coins and it used to yeah. just really upset me. Like, yeah, cause it's, I, I think it's like, it's, it's very necessary when you're on a route and an operator has games in somebody else's location. I think when we became an arcade where we have, you know, our 23 pinball machines and we want to maintain them to the best of our abilities, it became a liability to do it on coins because you can get players in here that would just kind of loiter and not really spend any well, money. I think that, you know, Wedgehead really turned a corner once we did go to free play. Oh, yeah. I, I, the, I really think it changed this business. The clientele changed a lot, uh, but it also ju it just fostered more people to get in. Like, it, it, their foot in the door. Like, new people were playing pinball. New people were trying it because they weren't getting... They weren't showing up and just getting. Well, people, people were like, "I got to put seventy five cents into a game that I suck at." Like, yeah, they don't want to do it, you know. Like, so, like, if you you pay your price to get in, and then it's like, "Oh my god, I I'm free to just go try whatever I want." It's like, "Ooh, I hate that game. I never want to play that game." And then you're just like, "Well, it's, I paid my twelve. You know, I paid my money yeah. to get in. Let's yeah. go play it." You know, like, and then they're like, "Oh shit, that was really fun." You know, like, you get to find out a lot. You know, like, I, it, it's fun to explore. I think. Yeah, it's it's been a great it's been a great shift for us. 
Um, it allows us to, it's, it saves us labor and, and it changes the, uh, customer experience. Now, some people would, would say they hate the new experience, you know, people, I, the people but, that are playing pinball here now are generally happy. Oh yeah. Whereas <laughs> when it, when it was like, you know, you're putting your quarter in, people are like shaking the games and like, that's bullshit. You know, like yeah. they would be, get upset at the game. We used to get a lot of like, Rhodesy has a reputation around town, which I have inherited uh, because we're, I'm sort of a Chris Rhodes disciple in the way we set up games where it's like, uh, I remember when I first met you and you had a game at bunk and I was like, Oh my God, this game's so hard. You know, I was a new player. I wasn't very good. And, and, and you, you had come and you had just tuned the game up and tightened the slingshots up and rebuilt the flippers. And it was like, it was really mean. And I remember we were playing and I was like, ah, it's too, it's too mean. You're, you're, you're like, I was doing that classic like new player crying like a little baby about playing a hard game and you we were playing a two player game I plunge you know it, it I lose my ball and then you plunge it goes right into a slay goes around an orbit hits the sling firecrackers back and forth and then slam drains down the side and I was I was about to be like you see and then you just turn around with a big smile on your face you're like man I can't even see the ball it's awesome yeah right like <laughs> And, uh, and that, that's sort of what, uh, changed our kind of outlook on that. That's, that's the big difference with, with Chris and just the way he set stuff up. Well, I got to say that my kind of philosophy that I've always kind of run at pinball routes is to kind of try to display the games as they were made and tune them up the best you can. Like, I don't want to put a bunch of colored lights. I don't want to put a bunch of like mods and all that kind of crap into games. Like, I yeah. believe that the games were right when they came out. I don't need an alternative translate. I don't need a topper. I don't I, need any of that crap. I want the game to be like it came out. And I mean, like, there's certain things like LEDs. Like, LEDs definitely are better for a game. Like, it's sure, like... Because they don't get all that heat. Yeah, the heat. Right. And it, and it's just better for the game. And they're brighter. And they're brighter. Yeah. And but I will only put in warm white LEDs. Warm white LEDs. That's a big some games I'll maybe put in cool white. I mean, there's very rarely I break the exception. But I like to have shit the way it is, the way that it plays, good. And I want it to be I kind of uh, the way my I learned how to set up games was by going to the in Pittsburgh, going to Papa and playing at the professional and playing pinball spec games. Yeah. And it was <laughs> like they set up all their games super hard. It was fair, you know, like it wasn't so hard that you couldn't play them. And it's like, you know, like basically we're all playing the game with, you know, a cup and a string and a ball and you're trying to catch them. I mean, and it's yeah. just like, it's all the same, you know, like. Which I think is like the last topic we'll talk about, which is basically like what we are and why we're different is like the setup, which I, we'll get into deeper in a different episode that I want to talk about because Setup of a pinball machine is very personal. People like different things. There's different compounds for just things like your rubbers. And then there's incandescence versus LEDs. Then there's colored LEDs. There's all sorts of things that can change the way a pinball machine plays. But I will say that what makes us unique as a, as a pinball destination, as a pinball spot is one, I think our building's very unique. The way that we built it out is unique, but the way we set up our games is very of a certain style. They're all steep. They're all, they all play fast. We like to use real rubber. We like warm white LEDs mm -hmm. and really no mods. Yeah. I mean, and you know, like 
it's not all about getting all the LEs. No, and tight tight tilts. Tight tilts. I mean tight tilts and and tight slings, really. Yeah. Like and, I mean, like like getting a bunch of LEs in the building just because they're LEs is like they don't play better sometimes. And that's the biggest thing too, is is like we always have a mix it's very important that we have a mix of games. So, you know, we'll we will always have an EM or a couple on the floor. We will always have solid states. We will have games from from the late 80s to the 90s to the 2000, you know, like up until modern games. And that's important to us that we don't end up with a with a bunch of sterns, a bunch of sterns. Like, Which there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's just not our style. No, it's there's good games from every era. And we want to make sure that we're setting up a place that's that's a place where you can play games from all the different eras. So that I mean that's that's what I think is is the big difference. And I us. mean that's what we 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 it's definitely curated. I mean, whenever we bring a game in, it's like okay, this game comes in, so that means that that game that type of game has to come out. Yes. Or you know, like it's always like we try to we try to match the vibes. Like we try to keep a, a mix of of different types of games because we care about having different types of games. Yes. And sometimes the easiest thing in the world. Is to bring in a new a new stern that we know is very reliable, uh, that we could do. And sometimes we're bringing in games that have been stored that we got to go through and and repair and diagnose and and do all that kind of extra work to. Even though we hate that game. No, 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 no. My <laughs> man, pinball magic. Uh pinball magic. It's it's fun. It's okay. Yeah. Pinball magic's been uh, a little bit of a bastard lately, but. Um, I mean, I'd rather I'd rather do that than just have a Mandalorian there or yeah. whatever. Like, and not again, not that there's anything wrong with that. I just don't. I, I mean, those I want to play different games. I want people to come here and play different games. That's what I think makes us unique. We're gluttons for punishment. That's the biggest thing. I mean, we operate pinball machines. I mean, it doesn't get much worse than that. It's dumb. It's definitely dumb. But uh, I think we're gonna. I think that's we covered the history of Wedgehead pretty well. How you and I met. Who you are? You're the legendary Chris Rhodes. I don't know about that, but yeah. But uh, yeah, we talked a little bit about Wedgehead and how we built this place out. And uh, thanks for joining me on the show on the official Wedgehead Pinball Podcast. We'll get you on again. Yeah, man. I think these I the ep- episodes one and two have been out, and I've listened to you know a lot of it so far. It's good shit, man. Good. Well, it's gonna th- these are gonna be these are gonna be the highest rated episodes ever. I bet. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to. Everyone's be part gonna of love it. to hear Chris Rhodes. Sure. <laughs> just, just, I'll just remember. I'll call you by the wrong name on yeah. purpose. He does that. He's got a little Ron Swanson in him. Uh, but uh, yeah, we'll end it. We'll end it here. Uh, thanks for joining me once again. For everyone else out there who's listening, thanks for listening to the pinball, uh, the Wedgehead Pinball Podcast. I just uh, implore you that wherever you are, go out, play some pinball. Go play some pinball on location. Support a local business. Uh, we we rely just like everyone else does on people showing up and playing these games. The people that work at your local arcades or bars, they all put in a lot of hard work to make sure you have these games to play. And they're a lot of fun. So go out there and play them. Until next time. Good luck, don't suck.